Usually they do an excellent job. If you come on, which I will introduce you. This is B.J. Kerstetter. Let me mess it up there. They nailed it. <laughs> okay. Well, him and his wife, Carissa, have been in the chosen ministry. And, and what they do is chosen people of ministry. What they do is they minister to Jewish people. And you can look in your scriptures and look all through life. There are a whole lot of Jews who know God but don't believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He's been doing this since 2014. And he's traveled all over the globe, him and his wife. And she's home now because she'd be here, but they have a young baby. And she's home watching the babies, two babies, right? Yeah. Two young girls. Uh, but pray, pray, for the, pray for her. <laughs> I know you'd have to pray for me if I was home watching two young kids. <laughs> you'd have to pray for the kids. But just pray for them and pray, pray for their, their ministry that you'll touch people of the Jewish faith who does not know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I introduce our speaker, B.J. Kerstetter. He'll, he'll, he'll do our message. Amen. And at the you. end of the period, we'll have a, when he finishes, we'll have a love offering. But thank you. Thank Bye. you, Brother Gerald. I'd like to, before I start speaking, I'd like to show a quick video about Chosen People Ministries and uh, the kind of work that we do all around the world. Go ahead and play that video. In 1892, Rabbi Leopold Cohen passed an open door to a church on the Lower East Side of Manhattan and heard someone preaching the gospel in Yiddish, the language of his Jewish-Hungarian homeland. After reading the New Testament he received from the young Jewish preacher, Rabbi Cohen gave his life to Jesus and became deeply burdened for the salvation of his fellow Jewish people. This was the birth of Chosen People Ministries. Rabbi Cohen began reaching out to the tens of thousands of poor Eastern European Jewish immigrants. Under his inspired leadership, the mission he founded provided food and clothing, taught English and sewing classes, offered medical care, and shared the good news of Jesus the Messiah. Rabbi Cohn understood the importance of not only sharing the gospel with words, but also by showing the love of Jesus to his chosen people. As a result, many Jewish people came to faith. Headquartered in the heart of New York City, which has the highest concentration of Jewish people in the world, Chosen People Ministries also ministers in over 20 cities throughout North America. Although our world has changed since the days of Leopold Cohen, our mission statement remains the same. Our mission is to pray for, evangelize, disciple, and serve Jewish people everywhere and help fellow believers do the same. Thank you for your partnership, and we look forward to the next season of our ministry and working together with you to reach the Jewish people with the gospel. have it. Chosen People Ministries exist to pray for, evangelize, disciple, and serve Jewish people all around the world and to help fellow believers do the same thing. So that's part of 
my job is to go around and speak in churches and encourage fellow believers to be a part of reaching the Jewish people with the gospel. So did you know that the Jewish people are actually an unreached people group? Less than 1% of Jewish people all around the world believe in Jesus as their Messiah. Isn't that crazy? That blew my mind when I first heard that. You know, we read in the Old Testament, God called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the nation of Israel to be a kingdom of priests, to take his message of salvation to the rest of the world. And now what happened? They've rejected their Messiah. They are lost. And it's up to us to take the gospel back to the original messengers. So back in... 2012, God really gripped our hearts for the Jewish people, me and Carissa. And that's our daughter, a four-year-old daughter, Ari, and our four-month-old, Avia. And back before we had kids, God really gripped our hearts for the Jewish people. So, so my wife, Carissa, she's actually Jewish. She grew up in a, a believing Jewish home. They believe that Jesus is a Messiah, and they celebrate a lot of the Jewish feasts, like Passover, but recognizing that Jesus is the fulfillment of Passover. He is our Passover lamb. And uh, she didn't really think much of the Jewish people. We had, we had no thought that we'd be missionaries to the Jewish people until God gripped our hearts for these unreached people showed us that the Jewish people are unreached and that we need to go and take the gospel to them. And in 2015, with Chosen People Ministries, we went down to a guest house that reaches Israeli backpackers with the gospel. And that may sound strange. Like, why are you reaching Israelis in South America with the gospel? Like, how, how is that? But in Israel... Right after high school, all Israelis are required to spend two or three years in the Israeli Defense Forces. And most of them, after their time in the army, they take about a year off and go backpacking around the world. And we've discovered that while they're on these backpacking trips is the best time in their entire life for them to hear the gospel. So we have this incredible opportunity. There's 60 to 70,000 Israelis that travel around the world every year. And we have this incredible opportunity to reach them in the strategic time in their life where they're so incredibly open to the gospel. And so we worked at this guest house ministry and we saw dozens of Israelis come through during our two weeks there. And almost every single night, it was unbelievable, every single night we'd stay up till 2 or 3 a.m. talking with Israelis about Jesus because they're so, they're so open and so interested. You know, they've never heard the scriptures explained the way we believe it. They don't even know that Christians worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They don't know that Jesus is Jewish, that he came to give his life for them. There's so many misconceptions, so much hurt and anger between the Jewish and the Christian church. And, you know, we need, to, we need to tell them the truth of who Jesus actually is. And so we planted a lot of seeds during our time there. 
And God showed us how incredible this ministry is, reaching Israeli backpackers with the gospel. And so God put it on our hearts to open another guest house in Brazil. Uh, So I actually grew up in Brazil. My parents were missionaries down there for over 20 years. And so we wanted to start a guest house ministry in Brazil to reach Israelis with the gospel. And uh, due to a lot of different health complications, God prevented us from, from going to Brazil. It was back in 2017, we had actually packed up, we'd ended the lease on our apartment, we'd sold all our furniture and packed up all our belongings up into boxes to move overseas. And God chose that time <laughs> to say, no, you're not going. We woke up one morning, we were actually out raising support, uh, visiting different friends and churches. We were staying in an empty apartment that someone was letting us borrow with an air mattress on the floor and Carissa's throat was closing up. And we were terrified. We had no idea what was happening. What, what was she reacting to? And she was having anaphylaxis, but we didn't know what the trigger was. And we later found out she has MCAS, a mast cell activation syndrome, which is very complicated. I'm not going to explain it, but that, that prevented us from moving to Brazil. And it took us two or three years to grieve that loss because we had spent five years from 2012 to 2017 preparing. We had teammates who were going to move down there with us to start this guest house. We had um, spent time preparing and taking vision trips down there to explore and see where God would have us establish this guest house. All this time and effort and money spent five years invested in this vision to start this guest house. We were devastated when God told us we couldn't go. We cried, we grieved. But then in 2020, God showed us uh, a, a new project that we could work on. He prevented us from moving to Brazil to start one guest house ministry, and he enabled us to start a network of a thousand guest house ministries. And I'm going to share about that, keep you on your toes on the edge of your seat and share about what that is at the end of the message. Uh, But right now I want to share from Romans 9 through 11, God's heart for Israel. Why, Why should we even care about the Jewish people? Why should we care about Israel? This is one of my favorite passages that answers this question. You know, Romans is, is a great book, one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's considered Paul's magnum opus, his greatest work. And in the first eight chapters of Romans are, are just incredible teachings. This, some of the greatest theological teachings you can find in the Bible are in the first eight chapters of Romans. And, and so because I love the context of uh, Romans 9 through 11, we're going to start in Genesis 1-1. Just kidding. That was a joke. 
you know, I was on the phone with Pastor William uh, before I came here, and I said, uh, on, on the paperwork it showed, 30 minutes for the message. And I said, is that right? And he said, well, that's sort of a guideline. You can take as long as you want. So we're going to be here all afternoon. I hope you don't have any other plans. That was another joke. I'll try to keep it brief. Uh, but, yeah, Romans 9 through 11 uh, begins... We'll begin at the end of Romans 8. Here we see a celebration. Paul is celebrating uh, God's, God's love and faithfulness. It's, it's like a summary of the past eight chapters that we are celebrating. He says, For I am sure that neither life nor death nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things uh, to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now, you would expect, after, after this phrase, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, that would be a perfect time for Paul to launch into some pra- practical application of this theological teaching that, is, that he has just done in the first eight chapters. But he doesn't do that until chapter 12. This key phrase, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, this key phrase should be an encouragement to us, to every believer. But these predominantly Gentile believers that he was writing to, to the Roman church, they're um, they're going to be encouraged by the summary statement of God's faithful love and ability to save and keep them saved, but a question must be answered first. And that, that question can be stated in three succinct words. What about Israel? How can we believe that God is loving and can be, would be loving and faithful to us if he has not been loving and faithful first to Israel, his first chosen people, he made so many promises to. If he failed them, how can we believe that he's going to not fail us? How can we believe that God will be faithful to us if he's not faithful to the Jewish people? And Romans 9-11 through 11 is Paul's response, his answer to this question that must be asked by Gentile believers who have been blessed to receive the spirit of adoption. So Romans 9 through 11 doesn't merely just answer this question, what about Israel? It also lays out Paul's burden for the lost for his lost Jewish brethren. It shows his prayer for their salvation and it shows the role he sees for the Gentile church in reaching the Jewish people with the gospel. So let's start with Romans 9, 1 through 5. And this shows Paul's heart is sorrowful. Romans 9, 1 through 5. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. 
For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers and my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So we first see here in verses 1 and 2, the sorrow and grief that Paul is experiencing, his heartbreak over the lost state of his brethren in the flesh is described to be continual, and the Greek word there is adialiptos. It literally means unceasing, without stopping. Paul's response to this unceasing pain in his heart over the lost state of Israel is in the form of a wish. In verse 3 we see, he says, For I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Now, what is Paul saying here? Is he serious? Would he really give up his salvation? Or is this just hyperbole? Is he exaggerating to make a point? The Greek word uh, that he uses there for wish, it's ekumen, ekumen. For I could wish. It's used in other places such as James 5.16 to clearly mean prayer. So, uh, and this this word in Greek, it's it's written in imperfect tense, which means um, it's an incomplete action. And in this case, it denotes uh, what's called a hypothetical nuance. So what Paul is saying here is that he would pray this prayer if it were permissible, and if it would benefit his lost brethren. Paul is saying that if, if it would reach the Jewish people, he would be willing to give up his own salvation, if somehow that would save his lost brethren. Israel, despite her disobedience of God, their rejection of Jesus, as their Messiah, is still the apple of God's eye. God loves them with an everlasting love, and that will never change. Paul begins in verse 4, chapter 9, verse 4, by, by seeking to make absolutely sure that the term my brethren that he is using, my brethren, is not misunderstood to mean Christians, like fellow believers, um, you know, in, in the Bible we see their spiritual brethren and then their physical brethren. In this case, he's talking about flesh and blood, physical brethren. Um, he says, my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh who are Israelites. And the term Israelite applies only to the nation of Israel, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in conclusion of this section, in conclusion of uh, Romans 9, 1 through 5, Paul tells us why he did and why we should grieve over the lost condition of the Jewish people. 
The reason for his grief is the incredible blessings and privileges that were uniquely given to Israel. Yet Israel reaped no benefit from these spiritual advantages. Paul's sorrow over the fact that despite these incredible privileges, Israel as a nation has rejected her Messiah. So we see here in verses 4 and 5, Paul lays out eight privileges that, that, belong, that were given to Israel. So the first one we see here is the adoption. It's the placing of as a son, likely referring to Exodus 4.22, where the Lord says, Israel is my son, my firstborn. The second privilege is the glory, referring to the Shekinah, the Shekinah glory of God, God's presence with them in the wilderness. The third privilege is the covenants, referring to several covenants that God gave to Israel in the Old Testament, such as the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and the New Covenant. The fourth privilege is the giving of the law, an incredible privilege by which uh, the nations were to learn about God. The fifth privilege is the service of God, referring to the ceremonial system of sacrifices, offerings, cleansings, and other means of worshiping God. The sixth is the promises. All the promises that God made to Israel, God himself will fulfill. The seventh is the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the promises that God made through them. And the eighth and final privilege that God gave to Israel is the Messiah that came physically through Israel. Now there has never been a nation that has been more blessed and privileged than the nation of Israel. But in spite of all these incredible blessings and privileges, Israel as a nation and the Jewish people as a group have rejected Jesus as, as their Messiah. This is a tragedy of eternal proportions. Without a personal relationship with their Messiah, without accepting him as their Lord and Savior, no person, no matter how many privileges and blessings, they cannot be right with God. They are going to spend eternity separated from God in hell unless we go and tell them about Jesus and they accept him as their Lord and Savior. This is why the Apostle Paul has unceasing grief in his heart and this tragedy should break our hearts too. We should love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates. God loves Israel. God loves the Jewish people. They are the apple of his eye. We should love them too. And this should break our hearts. It should break the heart of every believer in Jesus. It should cause us to pray for the salvation of the Jewish people. And to ask yourself, what am I doing to bring the gospel to the Jewish people through whom Jesus originally came? Let's go on to chapter 10. Verses 1 and 2, Paul begins chapter 10 with a response to his sorrow over the lostness of Israel. He says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel 
is that they may be saved. Basically, Paul is saying that now that you know how lost Israel is apart from Christ, you need to know that my most heartfelt prayer for them is for their salvation. You know, we see other places in scriptures where God's heart is for everyone to be saved, but we don't see anywhere else in scripture that God got God's heart, a prayer for one specific nation to be saved. Only here we see God's desire for the salvation of Israel specifically. Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. And Paul explains why they are lost apart from Jesus in verse 2. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Now the word zeal means to have a fervent or enthusiastic devotion. Often uh, extreme or fanatical in nature as to a religious movement, political cause, ideal, or aspiration. Now that certainly describes the Jewish people throughout history and many Orthodox religious Jewish people today. They have a zeal for God. They're zealous in their religion, a fervent devotion to God. The first time Carissa and I went to Israel, one of our first stops was to the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall. And um, when, when you get there, you'll see this massive rock wall It's made of all these rocks that look like massive bricks. And in between the cracks of all these rocks are papers stuffed in the cracks. And these are prayers and desires of Jewish people coming to pray and bring their requests before God. And they stuff their prayer requests into the cracks of this wall. And you see all these Orthodox men praying all day and they're davening, the, the Jewish way of prayer. And they're praying so fervently, so zealously, so earnestly to God. And it broke my heart. Because they're praying to God. But in Isaiah it says, your sin has created a separation between you and God. He has hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. They think all of these good works, righteous deeds, tithing, praying, fasting, can earn their salvation. They do not know that their sin has created a separation and they need a savior to save them from their sin. They are lost without knowledge of the Messiah. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. It's not according to the knowledge of God's way of salvation through their Messiah, Jesus. He is the only way of salvation. We must pray for their salvation. Now turn to Romans 11. 
We saw in Romans 9, Paul's heart is sorrowful. We saw in chapter 10, Paul's heart is prayerful. And in chapter 11, Paul's heart is hopeful. Paul deals here with the important question of the purpose of the Gentile salvation. He writes in verse 11, So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, this is a rhetorical question. Did they stumble in order that they might fall? And unfortunately, many people are erroneously asking this question still today. The question very often takes the form of, is God finished with Israel? Has Israel fallen so far from God that now they are unsavable? Is God done with Israel because they rejected Messiah? Paul's question is, has that stumbling over Jesus caused Israel to fall? And the Greek word for fall there is pesosin. It literally means to fall prostrate, to fall dead, to become null and void. The fall here that Paul has in mind is one that is fatal and permanent. So has, the question he's asking is, has their national rejection of Jesus as their Messiah caused Israel to be dead to God once and for all? And Paul's response in Greek is the strongest negative possible response. He says, certainly not. May it never be. God forbid. Israel's fall is not final and it is not permanent. In the second part of Romans 11.11, Paul gives a reason for their fall. Why did they fall? Through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Here the Greek word translated trespass is parapatumati, which literally means a false step, an offense, or a transgression. So Paul is saying that Israel's sin of rejecting Jesus as their king, Messiah, did not make her fall final or fatal, but rather it was a trespass that created a wonderful opportunity for the gospel of the Jewish Messiah to be brought to the Gentile world. Paul wanted his new Gentile converts that he's writing to in Rome to understand that Israel, the Jewish people, still needed to have the gospel preached to them. Salvation has come to the Gentiles, Paul said, with a very important purpose and hope on his heart that they might be provoked to jealousy. Now, this idea that God would reach the Gentile world with the good news to provoke Israel to jealousy. This is not a new idea in scriptures. In fact, in Romans 10:19, Paul is quoting from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 32:21, about the same idea. Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 31:21, sorry, 32:21, Moses wrote, "They have made me jealous." with what is no God. 
They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So God is saying that Israel has made God jealous because of their sin, because of chasing after other idols. That has made God jealous. So I, God, will make them jealous, make Israel jealous for those who are no people. Talking about the church. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation, the Gentiles. Paul's heart is hopeful that as Gentiles accept Jesus as their Savior, their lives will be so noticeably different that those Jewish people in their midst will see the change in their lives and be jealous of it. We ought to be living our lives in such a way when Jewish people see our lives, they see our personal relationship with their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a personal relationship through their Jewish Messiah, Jesus. And they should see our lives in such a way that they are jealous and want what we have. As we consider the application of Paul's hope, we must ask, what happened why did the church not take to heart the clear teaching of the apostle to the Gentiles to provoke Israel to jealousy? Why is there so little emphasis on Jewish evangelism in the church today? If an unsaved Jewish person walked through those doors or visited an average church service today, would they be provoked to jealousy? and wish that they had what we have, or would they just be provoked? Romans 11.11 can be considered to be the Gentile Great Commission. Now we're all familiar with the, the Great Commission given by Jesus to his disciples and later passed to the whole church to reach all nations with the gospel. Now Paul, speaking primarily to Gentile believers, is saying that you need to bring the message of Jesus back to the original messengers. You need to provoke the Jewish people to jealousy by living the kind of life that would cause others to take notice. And how do you measure up? Are you doing a good job at that? Living a life that is a sweet aroma to those around you. We are to be salt and light. How are we doing? So through, through these chapters, and we only touched very briefly on them, there's so much more. But through Romans 9 through 11, we have seen that Paul's heart is sorrowful because of the lost condition of Israel. Paul's heart is prayerful for the salvation of Israel, and Paul's heart is hopeful that the Gentile church will provoke Israel to jealousy. Now back to our original question, what about Israel? If God remains faithful to Israel, we can have confidence that he will remain faithful to us. 
We can trust that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And God does indeed remain faithful to Israel. He has in the past and he he is faithful now and he always will be faithful to the Jewish people no matter how unfaithful they are to him. It is an unconditional love, unconditional faithfulness that God has to Israel. In Romans 11.26, Paul tells us that one day all Israel will be saved because God promised and he is faithful. He will fulfill his promises. And how will they be saved? Romans 10.13 tells us, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But the problem is most Jewish people have never heard of Jesus or they don't know who Jesus really is. So how can they call on the name of Jesus to be saved? Paul asks this similar question. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So who is going to tell them? Who is going to tell the Jewish people about their Messiah Jesus? It is up to us, it is up to me, it's up to you to go and tell Jewish people about their Messiah Jesus. Now you might raise an objection, but BJ, we don't have a whole lot of Jewish people in this town. I don't know if you've noticed, um, but there may be few to no Jewish people here. How are we to reach Jewish people with the good news of their Messiah Jesus? If, if we don't know any Jewish people. Well, I have a solution for you. And that brings us back to my story at the beginning. God prevented us from moving to Brazil to start one guest house in Brazil so that we could start a network of thousands of guest houses all around the world. And it's called Host Israelis. It's a new project that Chosen People Ministries started back in 2020. And I'm, I'm the tech lead for this project. So I built the website and the apps for this project. And now we are working on recruiting and training Christian hosts all around the world. Host Israelis is sort of like Airbnb, but for Israeli travelers to stay for free with Christian hosts all around the world. And our, our prayer and our hope is that when Israelis stay in the homes of Christians all around the world, that they would be provoked to jealousy. This, this network, one, one pastor got so excited when I shared our vision for host Israelis. He said, this is incredible. It's like a missions trip to Israel but you don't have to leave your home because they come to you. And it, it really is. I cannot 
emphasize how amazing and how powerful this, this network will be. I said before, like 50 to 70,000 Israelis travel around the world every year. And this is a strategic time in their life for them to hear the gospel. They're just incredibly open. You know, in Israel, the culture is um, closed to hearing the gospel. The culture is one of the rejection of Jesus. Most of them don't know why they reject Jesus. It's just part of their culture. Jesus is taboo. You can't find a New Testament in any bookstore except for the one Christian bookstore in Jerusalem. They don't know about Jesus, and it is up to us to tell them. So I want to make this challenge to you. It is the responsibility of the church to reach the Jewish people with the gospel. And God wants you to be a part of that. He wants you to be a part of his plan of salvation, his plan of redemption for the nation of Israel. One day all Israel will be saved, but they cannot be saved unless we tell them about Jesus. So I want to invite you to to join us in reaching the Jewish people with the gospel. And there are several ways you can do that. First of all, join host Israelis. If, if you love hospitality, if you have a, a guest room in your home, go to, go to this website, hostisraelis.com. You can use that QR code or ask me later, and I can help you find it, uh, but you can apply, you can go on the website and read more about it, and you can apply to become a host with us. So that's one way you can invite Israelis into your home and directly share the gospel with them. Another way you can be a part of us, uh, partner with us in reaching Jewish people with the gospel is through prayer. You know, this battle that we're fighting is spiritual. We battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers of darkness. And this is a serious battle. And the most powerful weapon we have is prayer. So pray for the salvation of the Jewish people. But pray for me and my family and our ministry. You know, we are facing spiritual warfare and in a lot of different ways and we could use your prayers so uh, you can s use that link that QR code or that link to sign up for our, our prayer letter and each of you should have gotten a brochure uh, a, a blue brochure in there if you have that go ahead and take that out if anyone did not get a brochure please raise up your hand and we'll try to get you a brochure does everyone have the brochure? All right, go ahead and open it up. And uh, my brochure is missing. Uh, but we'll use our imagination. So open it up. And on the last... Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. 
So the last page of this brochure is for you to tear off. So go ahead and do that now. Tear this off. And this is, so the brochure is for you to keep, take home, and pray for Israel. This part is for you to fill out and hand back to me. So there are options on here. Uh, you fill out your name, your address, your phone number, and email. And every month, Carissa and I are going to mail you or email you a letter. A lot of times it's exciting stories about what God is doing through our ministry. And you can be knowing what's going on with our ministry and be praying for us. Another way you can partner with us in reaching Jewish people for Messiah is financially. So we are uh, faith-based support missionaries, which means we rely on the generous support of churches and individuals like yourselves uh, to pay our salary and all of our ministry expenses so that we can continue reaching Jewish people full-time and not have to have work on the side. So if you feel called by God to, to give to this ministry, um, you can give a one-time gift or you can choose to give monthly. And we are needing to raise an additional $2,000 in monthly support. So be praying for that and see if God would have you give to this work. So three ways you can be a part of God's plan of salvation for Israel. Invite Israelis into your home and share the gospel with them. Pray for us or give. And that's all I've got. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor to be here today. Let's, let's end. I'll, I'll pray for us. And then uh, Brother Gerald will come back up. Father God, thank you for your word written in our language so we can read it and understand you, your heart, and what you expect of us. We thank you for your love for Israel, for the Jewish people. We thank you for your faithfulness to them. We thank you for the confidence that uh, we can trust uh, your faithfulness to us because you've been faithful to Israel. God, our hearts are broken because the apple of your eye is lost. They've rejected your Messiah, Jesus. God, we pray for their salvation. I pray that you would please soften their hearts. Please 